be back. I might be in jail. I might be anywhere. But when I leave, you can remember I said with the last words on my lips that I am a revolutionary. And you're going to have to keep on saying that. You're going to have to say that I am a proletarian. I am the people. I'm not the pig. You've got to make a distinction. And the people are going to have to attack the pig. The people are going to have to stand up against the pig. That's what the pastors are doing. That's what the pastors are doing all over the world. Me green tea, music for a sushi restaurant. Forest, forest. Music for a sushi restaurant. Music for a sushi restaurant. Music for whatever you want. Okay, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Welcome to another episode of Revolutionary Tracks. Of course, I'm here with my co-host, Karthik. Karthik, how are you doing today? I'm sorry that I surprised you with this uh, track. I, I don't even know you if, if you if you knew what you were getting into with the track. I just wanted to play it because it's like the it's hot on the news. Yeah, which the, the the that's the thing about today is that the tracks that we're going to be playing, the styles that are you know if that's a thing anymore, um, are not going to be as revolutionary as we usually play because today. Very happy to have on Leslie Lee, uh, critic and host of Struggle Session and uh, Culture. And so we're going to be talking about, you know, I guess what I see is the death of new genre. Um, and, you know, it's kind of endless nostalgia. Um, so thank you, Leslie, for coming in. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, at first, too, if I want to just talk a little bit about um, what you got going on in the media sphere as well. Oh, well, thank you so much uh, for having me on. Happy to be here. I'm the host of Struggle Session, uh, which is uh, podcast, which you can find at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or sesh.show or any place you find podcasts, folks. Uh, we talk about the intersection of politics and pop culture. We talk about movies, music, video games, professional wrestling, all sorts of good stuff. Internet culture. We've been doing a series on Meltdown May that people have really appreciated. Um, and I also host the podcast Culture, where we talk about where we do a call-in show, which you can find here, right here on the call-in app. And Wednesday nights, we talk about wrestling. Monday nights or Friday nights, depending on my schedule, we can talk about sci-fi, The Expanse. Plan on doing an episode on Yellowstone because that's a big show that not a lot of people are watching. It's the biggest show in America, but a lot of people don't know it, don't understand it. You listen to culture, I'll explain to you what all your parents are watching out there in the red states. All those, you know, shows about cowboys and stuff like that. I 
I give it to you. I'll let you know what's going down on culture. And, and before we get into uh, what we'll be talking today, um, have you done like a 18 part series on the show 24 yet? 24? No, but we have, I have talked about 24. 24, we haven't done an episode on 24 yet, but it's always an example I love to bring up because it's actually part of the reason I started the pot, started Struggle Sessions, why it's called Struggle Session. And it's because it's an extremely reactionary show, but I love it. Horrible politics. But amazing television. How do you deal with that? How do you be a good person, a good a good socialist, good communist, and enjoy a show like 24? That's what we talk about on Struggle Session. It's all just about turning your brain on and actually, you know, listening to the message you're receiving and critiquing it and understanding and, you know, putting it in the proper context. And you can enjoy the show while also condemning the absolutely aberrant uh, politics of it. Uh, yeah, and, like, my favorite scene in 24 is, like, Jack Bauer is trying to get some information out of some guy, but then he ends up, like, shooting that guy's wife in the kneecap instead of shooting the guy. Yes, I remember that one. Um, and it's like, <laughs> like, and it's, think, like, easily the most reactionary TV show that could have ever been created. Yeah, but it's, but it's amazing TV, and it's absolutely wild. And if we lived in a, you know, better world, we would be able to appreciate, oh, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. It would be like Looney Tunes to us. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That would, that's, that's a good way to put it. Um, but we're not going to be talking too much about 24 today. Um, but if you ever want a guest on to just talk about how crazy that show is, I would love to, and I would love to. In fact, that I mean, it's been too long. Please keep me to that. If you see me talking about doing a twenty-four episode, I ain't contacted you. Please kick me in the butt, please. Right. Uh, yeah, I'll just crash. I'll crash the show like Jack Bauer. Uh, <laughs> Put me on the podcast. <laughs> but today we're going to be talking about music, genres, um, and endless nostalgia. And we started off with a Harry Styles track um, that is kind of hitting this. Is it is, is that correct? Or I think it might fuck it up. Yeah, yeah, no, it is a Harry Styles uh, track. I guess what it's called. I don't know. Something sushi restaurant. It's like a song. This song is about a sushi restaurant or something like that. Like music for a sushi restaurant. Um, uh-uh. And it's kind of like. Uh, I, I wanted to start with this because it uh, basically ties into a video that uh, Leslie had shared with both of us, which is uh, of Mark Fisher uh, talking about the something futurelessness. I'm forgetting the exact title of it, uh, but it was pretty enlightening. And I think that like uh, one of the songs that uh, Mark Fisher touched on um, where you're kind of like creating a package that delivers the past uh, in the present uh, is um, Mark Ronson uh, doing the song with uh, Amy Winehouse at that moment. And I thought that it's kind of interesting that like that, that song even connects with uh, uh, Bruno Mars's Uptown Funk with Mark Ronson as well. And like this kind of song, this song also like kind of inspires the same, uh, has the same vibe. It has the same kind of like, it's the same package. It's like old school instruments uh in with a futuristic sort of effect um i'm not yeah. to interrupt you but i'm kind of freaking out because in the, in this mark fisher um 
video, he talks about hearing a song from a contemporary radio at the time, and he mistook it for a song that was from the 70s or the 80s. When you were playing that song at the beginning of the show, I assumed it was actually an old song. I like I because I I don't listen to Harry Styles. I haven't been in like a retail place that's playing like would play that song. Uh, I guess it came out just a few days ago. But I swear to God, when you were playing it, I was like, "Uh, who is this? This sounds kind of like Michael Jacksony, maybe you know, a lower level like R and B guy from around that era." I am actually actually flabbergasted. I feel like I'm like I'm almost being punked right now. It's like there's no way. Like like is this like a setup or something to make me look stupid or something? Like that. We are not playing this. But Jeez. That, that goes to the point though. Um, and I think it even Mark in the uh, Mark Fisher even you know laid it out is that if you played music for people in the '60s, if you played '70s music for people in the '60s, it'd be something new. If you played 80s music for people in the 70s, it'd be something new. But that's kind of where it stops. You know, where you could play something that just came out a few days ago. And it's as if it came out, it could have come out five years ago, ten years ago. You know, (laughs) we're just kind of like past new. Um, So I guess, Lizzie, like, what does that say? You know, at least what do you think? What does that say about, like, our culture, you know, maybe is americans as you know certain subjects of communities like what does it say about our our music culture or culture in general i mean it says a lot i mean obviously we can't ignore the racial element here that this is you know a multi-millionaire probably soon to be billionaire white guy selling uh music made you know 50 60 years ago by people who had nothing and never got paid for their work or anything like that and and, you know and that's where we are here in you know at this late stage era of capitalism that we're just selling the same thing over and over again but not even by like you know this no one but the people who actually invented it got no benefits benefit none uh from it and that's one thing that just stands out to me another is that like man i like you know pop music hasn't been good in a while i think but i really i really do think there's been a sharp downturn with mark ronson specifically and how he's had an effect on it um popular music where it's just like almost unlistenable because the other thing i thought about that song was like wow that's a really bad song even though it harkens back to a kind uh start of 60s vibe it's not nearly as smooth or authentic it's a lot harsher i feel a lot harder to listen to and just not as fun more in your face it sounds like uh music made for a commercial as opposed to uh you know a old soul song used in the commercial it's it's kind of interesting that like it's actually called music for a sushi restaurant. Uh, yes. Because <laughs> I, I heard it first at a sushi, not this song, but like I think I heard of Harry Styles first when I was actually at a sushi lunch buffet type of place. Um, and it was playing and I was just like, this is a really cool beat. Uh, and then that's Harry Styles. And then the, at that moment, I was like thinking that's not the beat is not Harry Styles. That's the guy singing on the beat is Harry Styles, uh, which ca- kind of got me to thinking if the artist at the moment is kind of like a brand ambassador for the beat. And essentially um, that's what like basically is going on in the music industry. Huh? 
a brand ambassador for the beat. That's interesting. I hadn't heard that one. We we talk on struggle session about how directors, especially like for the Marvel movies, they don't really direct the films. What they do is they play the director on the late night shows. They play, they go on the late night shows and talk about the movie and go on the red carpet, but they don't actually direct the movie. So is the artist even the actual artist or are they just a brand ambassador for a beat that they know is going to hit the right algorithm, hit the right numbers? And I think, I don't know. I feel like, the, I don't know. I'll have to think about that one. That's a nice observation though. I, I find that very interesting. Yeah, I I, I, I kind of agree. Good guy, the guy was like Dunlop was like that's a good way of putting it to say that the the song itself, right? The quote unquote, you know, piece of music is going to get sold either way. Yeah, oh who's, yeah, because like the like what are the yeah what are the lyrics about? Does it matter? Or isn't the point just that this is going to be an Apple commercial at some point? So yeah, like it is just the kind of a in between. You need someone singing on this beat for it to get in the car commercial. And so, hey, Harry Styles, would you please uh, lend your name uh, name to this beat? Uh, we'll make up the lyrics for you. What different? Like, is the song about anything really? Does it matter? That's that's kind of like one of the things that I think has been completely one thing that has gotten objectively worse. I think as far as how we think about and talk about music is that we don't even pretend that music need uh, like popular music should be about anything. It is just like something to play at the gym in the background, which is a strange thing to me. I feel like people have are largely, even though you might hear music more than you ever have, like is largely disconnected is largely in retail spaces or, you know, on a shuffle or is just, there's no, I don't know how, how to say there's not the real like deep dive connection, emotional connection, intellectual connection that you have in music. Cause we're just bombarded with meaningless music, constantly bombarded with the noise of music. It's, it's kind of interesting that like, it's called music for a sushi restaurant because uh, it, it is actually the kind of music that, that would randomly pop up at a restaurant against your will. And like, basically that's how you'd hear it in the first place. So it's kind of like almost uh, a form of irony, um, in the artist actually being forthright about it. Like it is music for a sushi restaurant uh, in, a, in a simple sort of descriptor. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of like uh, what, what, what we're dealing with, uh, I guess, like basically because music is being made for a, a kind of uh, a public consumption at, a, at, a, at these locations like retail outlets. Uh, but I do, uh, at this point, I think like it would be uh, reasonable to kind of uh, slightly segue into talking a little bit about your own angle uh, in looking at popular culture. Uh, can you speak about like, where, like there is a little less, uh, a, a, a significant lack of like a left uh, criticism of this culture, uh, which kind of like needs to also address the, the ex- excessive materiality of it. Uh, so can you like speak a little bit about where, what your perspective is uh, when you analyze popular culture? What my perspective is when I analyze popular culture. What, first, you got to start off that we live in a 
capitalist, uh, homophobic, transphobic, racist, white supremacist society. So everything you see is going to have some elements of it, uh, for lack of a better term, some problematic elements. The thing you have to do is you kind of have to think about these things and talk about these things and, uh, you know, sometimes critique these things, even in things you love where you see, you know, some sort of, you know, reactionary bent or argument or theme that you know you you can still enjoy the show the aesthetics the how it makes you feel but you can still acknowledge like the problems with it. like i think a good example i like to talk about a lot is uh law and order i love law and order it's one of my favorite shows i but i'm also like a hardcore abolition police abolitionist i would get those motherfuckers out tomorrow if i could how do i square that circle well i just i and i but i like to put but i as someone who's abolition but i feel like when i watch that show it makes my belief in it even stronger because it's so disconnected from the actual reality of how police act and behave and how they treat people now it is funny the modern version of law and order the new version they do try to incorporate critiques of the police into the show they have cops and they have good black cops uh talking about racial discrimination or da's critiquing them they, a lot of times they have activists involved in the cases it's very interesting they're trying to have both and they also have like extremely like more right-wing characters than they used to have one of the cops is like a q guy like a one six guy now when before they wouldn't have done that before they created this sort of liberal fantasy of a benevolent prosecutor and benevolent cops who were only cared about helping the victims now they've kind of left that behind and i think that's kind of a good thing because that's that was that's much worse i think that's just that is co the propaganda that is lying to people now they're just it's kind of like a meme death match between the left and the right where you have a caricature of a right character and a caricature of a lefty a, you know like a democrat character like a woke character like having these arguments battling it out and you have these court cases that are about like havana syndrome you know just random stuff that they're pulling in the headlines and it, it and it's and it's fascinating to me that this is what, you know, mainstream American television is. This is what all everyone's sending that like millions of people are sitting down to watch this show where basically not that used to be about promoting this very, um, you know, sanitized version of police where, you know, they always got the they mostly always got the bad guy the the prosecutors if they were going if they were bending the rules it was goddamn it to help the victims and now it's just a show where like basically twitter arguments are happening in real life with sensational crime stories on top of it and that's just an interesting thing to me and says uh to me at least like uh a lot about how our culture has shifted and changed and what pe how people's tastes have uh sh changed over the years yeah, no, and I think that's like the perfect point. In like, you know, you know, and I kind of wish you knew too. It's like for me, a lot of the shows that you're describing, I watch a lot, you know, of and especially of um, uh, Law and Order, you know, and SBU. And then, like the thing that for me that's kind of wild is that you, you know, can enjoy it as a TV show, but looking at what it does of like trying to say, oh, this is this is what cops are really doing. Cops are actually looking. In, into uh, these these sex crimes and all that stuff like that, when like literally the obvious or the, uh, the opposite is actually true. You know? Yeah, the, at the SVU in uh, New Orleans, infamously, we're just throwing away 
evidence, just ignoring yeah. cases that just yeah. straight up ain't no Olivia Benson's in real life. Yeah, and so like the amount of rape kit from like rape kits just on like local cop levels not being you know looked at or you know. But here, here's the, here's the thing: SVU did uh, a few years back, maybe about. Uh, maybe five, ten years back when people were talking in the news about that rape kit crisis where people were not – where police departments were not paying to have them tested and they had backlogs of hundreds of hundreds of these you know, kits that you know are a very, very awful experience for victims uh, to go through and for them to not even test them for DNA, uh, for evidence, just mind-boggling. SVU actually did uh, pro- promos like uh, – like, like, um, like PSAs, like saying, please, you know, this is an important issue. Call your congressperson to get these, you know, kits tested. I'm like, but the sh- in the show, you make it seem like this is an automatic thing and all the cops do this. You're, you have covered up for their malfeasance. Now you're doing a PSA to kind of try to help these victims in real life. But obviously it was, it's not enough. It's not going to get the backlog because these, like the cops don't care about this sort of thing. But the TV show tells us that they do. Yeah. Um, and I'm moving, kind of moving on to like another aspect of this is, uh, I think really a it's just kind of like a commodification and of revolutionary history and the sanitization of revolutionary art. Um, and it's kind of tied into like the the, the movie the, the Judas Judas and the Black Messiah, which is um, a movie about the snitch that. Got Fred Hampton killed, um, and 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 where it kind of leads us and everything like that. So we'll listen to the track and then we'll kind of just talk about what <laughs> this means. Okay. Mental institution causing so much confusion seems the only solution is a new evolution. We can't take it no more. Lifeless, lifeless song about revolution. That that was horrible. That was terrible. Pretty Just com- that fake, breathy pop voice that they do. Uh, shameful, shameful, shameful. Not a good song. And also, like the deli- uh, so unearned, so unearned by the movie, so unearned by the soundtrack. Like clearly, just like all right, WB's got making another movie. Let's get some. This is a black movie, so we'll get some rappers and some RB people uh, on it. But like, no meaning behind it whatsoever. 
Oscar winning though. Oh jeez. Song of the year. Like it's it's kind of it's kind of wild like the, you know I can't like reckon with that because this is considered the the gold standard for uh creative work uh in the United States in motion pictures at least. I mean I mean well I think infamously both the motion motion pictures song uh, a very, uh, a very like out of touch, out of date. I don't know. Was this a hit song for real, for real, or did just like people in the academy vote for it because it was like uh, a black yeah. song? Yeah, <laughs> like, cause, I, cause they would do that too. They'll pick it like, oh, we got one that's like you know somewhat political. Is what year is? Is this the black year? Or is this the LGBTQ year? Oh, it's the black year. So yes, uh, or the woman year. Oh, wait, we got two for one here. So I don't, I don't think they picked the songs <laughs> based on quality, but. Man, that's a bad song. That's not a good song. And like offensively bad given the subject matter and the authenticity or at least the, or, or I don't know how to say it. Maybe not authenticity, but the uh, the craft put into the actual era of protest music, which is not uh, in this song. Can, can you like talk a little bit about what you think makes a good song? I don't want to put you in the spot by like asking you such a specific definition but like just can you feel it out and like talk about what you think Ooh, i mean it's is that i mean that's a really hard question yeah, well because first of all i i couldn't even like tell you what's a good song i because i it depends on the genre for me like uh i'm a big i i, I don't know maybe because i'm a dj i'm a i'm big into music genres i, I guess it was an, it's a necessity when you're a dj and you're at a record store and you're picking through jungle trance uh happy hardcore etc etc you need to know your genres and you need to have like a specific idea of what works in that genre so what would make a great shoegaze uh song um barely hear the lyric lyrics but you know feel them you know heavy heavy guitars that does not let up and keeps going uh you still have to have a solo give me a cool ass solo that would be a, like a cool uh shoegaze song but i don't know if i can make a general uh, one for what would make a good song. I can t- maybe, and it's easier to say why a specific song is bad. Like that song felt bad because it was just like lifeless and the, uh, like the vocals felt lifeless. It just felt dead. There was no energy, uh, to it. And when it was in a genre that is, you, that is all about energy. Yeah. I mean, this is something that is, uh, I, I guess I, I, I lack the, uh, ability to kind of like describe it more than it's like you can just hear the fakeness, you know? Yeah. And that's where like when you, or at least it too, it's like if you hear songs that are made by revolutionary artists, if you like, you, you know, if people actually passionately performing their art describing, you know, revolutionary ideology, they just sound like they give a shit. And like this is just, this is just a song that was performed. Right, like this song was just made for the movie, and you can hear it, but you know, like it's still obviously going to get the accolades from, you know, from the the Academy and all that type of shit. Because, like you said, like you said, you know, it was probably chosen before it was recorded. So. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Good. So, uh, I mean, like, I'm just, I'm just curious about uh, how this basically popular culture as a, as a phenomenon serves the function of organizing the people because like uh, it is, it is a very establishment corporate way of like making sure that, I mean, it is called programming. Uh, it's got it in its name itself. So 
all of this like kind of falls under the category of some kind of like television network programming um and it's kind of creating a form of behavior that is a sort of like i mean it it kind of fits the old dystopian sci-fi definitions of like uh kind of like a zombified sort of you're just like served take what you're served and uh, there's really nothing uh beyond that like, that you can expect from this culture uh so and and again like it it also makes you more and more uh, lethargic or like it makes you feel like you know you're in a dream or something and uh etc cetera, etc cetera. so there are like these attributes that this culture has that um organizes us in a specific kind of way so uh can you like talk about uh what you think is the kind of intentionality behind like the way that culture is organizing us intentionality i see i sometimes i don't know if there's intentionality behind like this is what makes money it it, it makes them more money to sell us you know, for a, us the same shit over and over again at least they think it does corporations think it does i mean the music industry has collapsed into almost nothing now there uh what was it um who came out with the Kendrick Lamar came out with his album a couple of weeks ago top rest, uh top you know rapper on the planet maybe most popular rapper on the planet how many you know doesn't go gold or platinum or anything he sells like you know cop uh, his sales numbers were like would have been laughable you know 5 10 15 years ago absolutely uh, nothing 295,000 in sales that's like a novelty act you know but but the music the industry has collapsed is very different so i don't know if there's intentionality uh behind it because they like the music industry is just so bad at ma- they were caught completely off guard by the internet uh they've caught back up they are back now you know having all the artists on their thumb but man people like music has been incredibly devalued in these past uh, few years and so they go with what is safe and that's like a white a nice looking white guy a white girl singing black songs from 10 15 20 years ago uh and that's like and that's you know been the formula for a lot of stuff i guess maybe the new thing we have is olivia rodrigo singing like redoing like kind of a safe version of grunge now uh which we already got a few times before but now this is like the disney channel version of like nirvana that we've uh got going on for us now so it's basically just selling the same thing with artists who have you know much less and less to say and much and if they do they are have much less power uh there was uh, there was a uh viral you know thread about how all the like these big name artists are complaining about their record labels refusing using to give them release dates unless they do a certain number of TikTok videos a day. So I, I don't know if the there was intention, like any record exec thought 20 years ago, that that is what their day would be like, like bullying a 19-year-old into doing TikTok videos or you won't release their album. I don't think they intended for the music industry to be that way, but they're always chasing that next uh, easy dollar in the way that makes the least sense possible. And so now uh, that's where... Where we are now so i don't know if there's intentionality but it's just you know 
capitalism. It's like, like it's, it's just about the money, and the money uh, says that if we, if it will be it will be much easier if instead of having all these individual artists, we have algorithms, and we have uh, guys in Sweden who have invented you know the exact formula for making a hit pop radio song. We have the numbers that show it, and then we have the people that are going to be the brand ambassadors for those, those beats, and that's what music is now. Yeah, and I think, um, and this is probably something that's like when you talk about like like Mark Fisher's bringing up like capitalist realism and stuff like that, where the, it used to be art that in a lot of cases was taken over by white people and then repackaged. Um, but it started with art and it seems that we're to the point of it's just from, you know, like, like it's, it's, they understand if we do these certain things, then we get money. You know, and like, and that's where, yeah, it's, 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 it's changing from like, you can make cookies and that could be artful, right? There are some fucking cookie bakers out there that do incredible shit. But when you go to the store and you get a pack of Oreo cookies, is that art? <laughs> and that's, and, and that's he's like, these cookies are just made to make money. That's it. There's no enjoyment anymore. There's no, like, there's. Like, cause, and actually, too, is like, if you ever meet the people, which is like, uh, uh, baking confectionaries, BCTGM is the, is the union that have a lot of like, like, corporate bakers and stuff, stuff like that. Like, that, everyone's just there to try and make a paycheck, right? They're happy that they're baking cookies and Oreos and yay, but it's like, they're not there to make cookies. They're there to fucking live, right? They're there to make rent. And that's, it's almost taken over the music industry as well, where it's like, there's, this is supposed to be an artful medium and corporations like killed it, right? Because they don't care about art. They just, it's just money. It's only money. And yeah. that will take you end up bullying a 19 year old who's supposed to be singing or dance. You know, they're supposed to be making music and they go, oh, we got to bully them to do a TikTok video. It's fucking wild. And it's, it's degrading to both sides is the fun is the one the one thing I like about uh, I can enjoy, appreciate about you know our you know collapse is that it gets worse for them too like it, they have no dignity dignity it's like they have to spend their day uh, bullying nineteen year olds and doing TikTok videos that's pathetic in it, in and of itself but I you I want to get back to um, what uh, the intentionality because you know when it maybe uh maybe the focus in on what does it mean when these corporations are selling ostensibly revolutionary music to us, but drained of all life, whether it's that song, whether it's say the black Panther movie, which uh, you'll use Gil Scott Heron in the trailer, the revolution will not be televised. Uh, Disney was very much trying to convince us that seeing the black Panther movie was a, in and of itself a revolutionary act. Now it, annoys the shit out of me when Disney do this. I talked about this extensively. I thought I even called it evil for them to do this, but I don't think they were doing it deliberately to like hurt revolution. I just think that they solved, they see how bad things are getting. And if they can make a buck off of selling, say Juneteenth ice cream to us or pride month ice cream to us, uh, they will do it. They're not, I, they're not, they're not so much. I I guess they're trying to co-opting for, co-opted for money but i don't think they're trying to uh co-opt you know the politics itself they just want the money and make and when you spend the money to make you think hope well i guess maybe passively they hope that you think that spending the money is in itself the revolution 
Well, I th- mean, that isn't. Really, an... Go ahead. Yeah, I was just say like like I don't even know if they care. Like once they get you to buy it, like they don't really care how you feel about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I mean, I'm assuming like yeah, yeah, they'd like you to you know maybe go see it again in theaters, go buy the DVD, you know. But yeah, you know, like with something like Black Panther, that I. I like you said, like these, I don't think people come in there necessarily evil to say, "How do we subvert the revolution?" You know, they are literally just saying, "Like, hey, we're making entertainment for black people." You know, well, what's entertaining for black people? Oh, well, I heard this, this one guy, <laughs> Gil Scott Heron. You ever heard of him? You know, like we could put this in there, we could put yep. that in there. Um, but the sad part is, the sad part is, at and and this is something I. I would love to get these people in a room and talk to them. I feel like I'll be disappointed. But when you are an artist and they and you are political artists like uh, Ryan Coogler is, he talks about politics all the time. He said, uh, in fact, that well, actually Black Panther was the villain uh, uh, in some ways of the movie. So he gets it on some level. But like, what does that mean? Because all you're doing, you're making Black Panther too. Like, you didn't take your money from Black Panther and start like, you know, some sort of revolutionary core of, you know, of Dora Magi in real life. You just signed up to make more like Disney movies. So I do want to ask, like, there are artists who have, you know, very strong poly. I feel like most of the uh, uh, the artists. Uh, who have very strong pol- politics are usually actors who are the least powerful people uh in in pol- in uh as far as uh, the most replaceable uh people as far as entertainment goes i, I maybe that's for a reason uh why but i i i i get digress but you don't see a lot of big you know you know directors who have very strong uh left at least not anymore at least not in the disney brand wing of, wing of things now you maybe in back in the day in the 70s you know, like I think the, there's a naive part of me that uh, kind of thinks that we you, we can, we just like let this slide, uh, usually knowing that like you know we're being sold a bunch of bullshit like most of the time. Uh, it's just like packaged and sold exclusively for money, but we don't do anything about it because we don't feel like we have uh, we have an alternative. Um, and I think that like this is especially a kind of heinous offense. Uh, offense where we have to make sure that we do something about this kind of portrayal at least because they actually are now commodifying um, revolutionary sacrifice uh, to make money off of it uh, for actors and like you know artists who really are are, are not like are, are pretty much I mean for the lack of a better word leading extravagant lifestyles and like it's not like they're um, kind of these proponents of revolutionary sacrifice themselves so it kind of like makes it a an opportunity for us like as a, i mean we actually have the it's one of the clips that we wanted to play the the black panther song uh we could just like listen to a little bit of that and then you know I fight the world, I fight you, I fight myself, I fight God, just tell me how many burdens left. I fight pain and hurricanes, today I wept. I'm trying to fight back tears, flood on my doorsteps. Life in living hell, puddles of blood in the street, shooters on top of the building, government aid ain't relief. Earthquake, the body drop, the ground breaks, the poor run with smoke lungs and scar face. Who need a hero? Hero. You need a hero, look in the mirror, there go your hero. Who on the front lines at ground zero? Hero. My heart don't skip a beat even when hard times bumps the needle. Mass destruction and mass corruption, the souls are suffering men. Clutching on deaf ears again, rapture is coming. It's all a prophecy and if I gotta be sacrificed for the greater good, then that's what it gotta you be. You 
gets worse and worse with each track. Um, this is the, it's like this is that song reminds me of We Didn't Start the Fire <laughs> because it's not a coherent like he's not describing problems, situations. You know, he's Kendrick Lamar. He's yeah, Kendrick Lamar. He's, he's always he always does this. I I've never been a big fan of his. Like I can take this nonsensical style when it's future and he's just talking about drugs and money. I don't like it when you're trying to tell me it's politics as like revolutionary when you're and you're not making a coherent you know statement of any sort because many rappers have and can and do do that and if you're want to be the best rapper in the world you can do a little bit better now I do want to give I mean Kendrick Lamar did do this whole like whole Black Panther soundtrack that like for no reason like it didn't need it so i do want to give him a little bit of you know leeway because he had to come up with like 10 songs for this movie but uh yeah it's not i i never liked the soundtrack i didn't even think the beats were that good it felt rushed and just like well we gotta make this we gotta make a album for this movie because you know you it's know, gonna actually is yeah, we have her making a this big movie you know and this is this is where the people are coming for the big debate dust up is because i gotta disagree with you on like giving kendrick props for even doing like get a te- you know pop out 10 songs because that's not like, even not, not prop just like a, a like a handicap yeah. like a hand yeah. like the song is bad but it's like you know it's, it would be better if you didn't do 15 other songs at the same time that's, that's all <laughs> I mean, that's i mean and like that's the thing though is that there are actually i mean because like Pac the talk did it Oh yeah, you Pac know, did it. You, Pac you, did you do it. Hear, like and like we, you know, like, I don't know if you're familiar with a, a rapper like Napoleon the Legend, um, but I mean, like he can he can get you a track in days. He can get you an album in weeks. He puts out like five, six albums a year, and like full at least ten track albums. So like that's the thing is like it's not so much that it's like yeah like that it would it is difficult, but I think that just goes to show. That Kendrick really isn't as good as what most people consider some of the greats, because some of the greats could do that. And it oh would yes, be dog shit. You know, I mean, um, even, I, I would even say like Lil Wayne would probably would would, yeah. would deliver something better on the whole. He can he can bring it. He can bring it when he feels like it, and in quantity if he needs. Now he will be nonsensical as well, but it'll at least be funny. Exactly. <laughs> at least it'll have dope metaphors. At least it'll give me something. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's where, too, it's like, I I, I have, you know, it's like you can respect, you know, like, Kendrick as, as an artist. Like, you know, like whether it's flow um, and his ability to adapt and, and change up, you know, there's a lot of good things as, like, baseline rapper shit. Um, but when you start interrogating what Kendrick's saying, you know, and that's, like, I think what we all agree on. It all falls apart. It all falls apart. I also want to ask, like, uh, yes, it, now that we're in the territory of, like, you know, revolutionary uh, iconography, at least, like, even if it's not always, like, uh, a revolutionary biopic, uh, although almost all biopics that seem to come out seem to want to center the story on the snitch or the or the informant character, which is somehow strange. Uh, but even that said, like, we're, we're left asking the question of what is the intended message to be taken out of these kind of 
the revolutionary films that are being like made and produced by Hollywood, like even from people with acceptable levels of uh, like whatever, like, you know, who at least understand the gravity of the undertaking, like Ryan Coogler, like you said, uh, what is the what is the message that they want us to take away, especially like, you know, listening to this song from Kendrick Lamar, like the, the message is that like you got to look at yourself, you got to you yeah. know, self-improvement. Always, always. I, I don't. I didn't want to give too many compliments to Ryan Coogler. Uh, I don't think I, he understands it on a certain level. But I think like most people in Hollywood, he's just like at best a kind of like AOC Democrat. At best, on his best day, he might be a AOC Democrat. But he did, you know, acknowledge like some of it. But I, th- I really do think like most of these the political movies that we've gotten in the past since the Obama era have been incredibly like shallow and like meaningless. I think maybe the best example I can think of is like the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie, which has like no stakes. Um, it's about a tax case that, and, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg obviously uh, meant to be a feminist icon, but this is a tax case that she did, you know, for uh, her biopic is about a tax case she did for a man who was suing the government because he was being discriminated against um, on, uh, because he wasn't a woman and women could get a specific tax credit or mothers could get a certain tax credit <laughs> that like fathers couldn't like it was like a family court like film and it's like this is the stakes of a movie for like a feminist uh, you know what's supposed to be a political modern feminist icon now there's tons of movies you can make about all sorts of great women throughout history they chose rbg and it was very shallow waters for them to dive in and it didn't make for much of a film and when you see most of what considered these political movies that have come out in the past you know 10 years from this current crop of direct directors they're extremely extremely shallow and they don't really like they don't they're not really effective i think they're much less effective than like some of the you know political you know uh cultural you know thrillers and dramas from the like the 90s like something like um a time to kill like that's much more you know impactful even though it's full of melodrama or whatever than like any of the movies most of the movies maybe except you know 12 years a slave which i i like but most of the modern you know ava duvernay ryan coogler era of you know political movies uh aaron sorkin um aside from don't look up which i actually like i know a lot of people didn't like it. i actually like that one um but i really just think most of these movies are just incredibly shallow and meaningless like most films are i think they've actually like it's, it's just all of film has just become less less meaningful import and important so that applies to all our political movies as well yeah and i and I, that's right too so I, th- I feel like people gave uh don't look up uh, a little bit harder time than like it deserved. You know, my only, uh, you know, like my, what I'm upset with, like, don't look up is the fact that, like, the guy shouldn't have been eaten by, you know, a bird, an alien bird on another planet. You know, like, there, there should have been a popular uprising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, uh, but, but yeah, and, and, and like, do what you're saying. And this is kind of what, you know, why we, and Bud, you ought to kind of talk about and like interrogate this this idea of uh, you know this this nostalgia commodity that doesn't really serve anyone, right? Like it doesn't really do anyone any good, other than like you sell some tickets, right? You get some fucking people in the seats, sell some popcorn, whatever. But at the end of the day, 
it's not really showing anyone um anything inspiring, right? You know, like our 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 young young people watching this RGB movie and saying, Oh, I'm gonna go to law school and fucking do something great. Or people watching, you know, Judas and the Black Messiah and saying, I'm gonna join a, a leftist organization and start or you know, like that's where these things are obviously uh yeah, just scams, right? Just 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 there for money. Um and it's not so out there. There were movies like that that they want you to exp- see another part of the world and like take action, change how you view things, change how you behave. But that's just like not on the table for it. almost anything you see or watch now. It's all just it's so much of it is just, you know, fa- what I fantasy of a certain sort that has no little to no real. Uh, connection uh, to the real world and when it does connect to the real world is usually shallow or just straight up reactionary and evil uh, yeah there's like a there's especially like a kind of uh nefarious sort of a shallowness here because uh these there are like artists of the present day who are trying to gain credibility and like relevance uh among an audience that's like familiar with this um especially with like you know civil rights era, uh, Black Panther Party, like, icons, and uh, to appeal to these audiences as, like, they are, like, actually serious people, um, you know, like, th- we actually have a clip from um, Selma, which is the song th- that has uh, John Legend and uh, Common, and, like, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll hear it for a second. Um, essentially, you kind of have to ask yourself the question, um, who is gaining, like, is this, this, like, Martin Luther King's message that is being taken forward, or is it, like, somebody who's drawing attention to themselves while, you know, basically singing uh, King's message? man woman and child even jesus got his crown in front of a crowd they march with the torch we gonna run with it now never look back we done gone hundreds of miles from dark roads he to become a hero facing the league of justice his power was the people enemy is lethal a king became regal saw the face of jim crow under a bald ego the biggest weapon it's oh no our music is the cuts that we bleed through Somewhere in the dream we had an epiphany Now we right the wrongs in history No one can win a war individually It take the wisdom of the elders and young people's energy Welcome to the story we call victory The coming of the Lord My eyes have seen the glory One day yeah, Okay, alright Oh, common bars that was, that was trending on Twitter a while uh few weeks ago on black Twitter, common bars where people were mocking commons uh style man he, he's fell off he, my boy <laughs> fell off uh big time yeah. i i hate i hate because I, I met common once and he seemed very nice uh guy he was just randomly in the airport by himself in new orleans in sweatpants and i was like aren't you common it's like yeah i was like i'm a big fan he said oh thank you that was it but i i i i, I digress but i that was bad that was really bad like just lifeless and common again is an artist who actually i know understands the politics a bit at least like the at least judging from his 
earlier work, he seemed to have more cognizance than the average uh, celebrity. And this is where, with, I mean, like, I don't know, like, was it Common that got, like, kind of the first rapper in the White House under Obama? You know, he got invited, and, and like, um, for me now, right? Because it's the thing, too, is, like, you know, like, you know I'm, I'm, I'm mid-30s, so Common and um, Conscious Rap was, like, you know, centered in my in my upbringing. Um, but then again, thing. Common sadly always been the commercial conscious rapper. Yes, and that's exactly right. Is that Common was 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 Common right? Like yes, that's, that's the, thing. Uh, the, the the thing is that Common ended up being Common. Right, Common was the one who could go on in TV shows and movies and stuff like that. He's the one that made it across the, you know, across the board, and you got to ask yourself why, you know, why is this the one that introduced the White White House? Because like, like, I mean, Nipsey Hussle was never getting invited. Yes, yeah, and, and I, I, I re- revolutionary, right? But like, uh, yeah, I mean, I really hated the Obamaification of hip hop. That was that was a dark time. It it was nice when like some of the rappers were actually like fuck Obama. Like Lil Wayne was like actually uh he he didn't do anything after I was after uh, I think what I think it was um was a George Floyd protest. That start rappers started like calling out Obama. But um yeah, just absolute like um <clears throat> so I remember when Kendrick went to the White House with Obama and he is just there cheesing and smiling his butt off. I'm like, how can you call yourself a political rapper and shake hands with the president of the United States of America? What kind of revolution could this possibly be? I actually respected Kanye more for holding the personal grudge against Obama than for for Kendrick Lamar to go up. I can even like, like swear to God, if Obama had not insulted Kanye. Kanye would have never tried to go with Trump, never worn the red hat. He would have been a loyal Democrat. And I actually think maybe Hillary Clinton would have won because she obviously hitched her horse to the losing team of Jay-Z and Beyonce when she could have had Kim and Kanye on their side. But I digress. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's that. And which that's the real shit right there. <laughs> you just went the wrong route. Should have gone with Kanye. Uh, yes. <laughs> but that's the thing too. It's like kind of was wild is that like, um, because within you know like that's with Trump was like Lil Wayne was like trying to uh pony up to Trump, you know, try to get some of his uh charges, you know, uh, expunged and shit like that. Um, fuck, who was I think there was I can't remember who it was that got caught overseas. And they had to beg Trump to help. Oh, them was it ASAP a- Rocky? ASAP Rocky, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and like, yeah, that's like kind of the funny thing is like, yeah, these motherfuckers are just like, will literally go <laughs> to the president of the United States, you know? These like this hip hop, you know, artists that are like seen as these countercultural things, but it's like as soon as they're in trouble, they'll fucking run and pick up the phone and <laughs> dance well, around the White House and shit. Well, maybe this will circle back, you know, to Mark Fisher because, you know, he notes, he notes the, um, jungle as kind of the last new sort of thing. I don't know if jungle ever made it mainstream enough 
in at least in America, it did maybe in the UK, but in America to really count. But kind of our last like big new mainstream thing probably was like for real hip hop. Um, and it used to be counterculture. It used to be underground. Now it's just like everywhere. It is, you know, everywhere in everything is blase. They're putting out new white rappers, you know, left and right. They were, they used to be afraid to do it. They were for a decade. Now they're just putting that, that with that boy from Kentucky that just came out of nowhere. And now he's our new white rapper and rap and hip hop is just everywhere. And like, there is not even, even the, the revolutionary songs that we thought, the songs that we thought were revolutionary back in the day, public enemy, they're oldies. They'll play them at our Republican rally and half the people will know the lyrics. Every, the, it became such a dominant part of culture that it just lost all meaning and became, I think, as one of our listeners uh, said, you know, elevator, ambient music, even revolutionary music becomes ambient m music given enough time. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. You, know, you even look at a, like a band like, you know, we've talked about this before, mentioned before, like Rage Against the Machine, where... <laughs> You got people who are like, sometimes just recognizing like, oh, these people were actually had a revolutionary message and saying, oh, well, that's fucked up and I'm no longer going to listen to them. Or, oh, I don't care because I like the riffs, right? Like, yeah, I, I remember as a kid listening to Rage and Machine and thinking, oh, I don't know. Maybe these guys are like too like radical for me. Like I actually did take the politics series and I, I remember and people and like that is just, I don't know, like not a feeling that I don't think any 13 year old is going to have listening to the radio that, whoa, this is exposing me to like new political ideas that I hear, hear about. Like it's like even just the videos that they did, like making fun of like those gap commercials at the same time, the sort of ad busters uh, stuff. Like the, I, I don't think you get that from today's artists now. Cause they're like, they, cause all of them are so tied into these corporations. That's the way they make money by selling, you know, all these products and, you know, being tied to these cryptocurrencies or these banking commercials. It used to be embarrassing to even have your song in the car commercial. But then I, I, I remember Smashing Pumpkins, my favorite band, and he and Billy Corgan, you know, he was one of those guys who were like, I'm not selling out, I'm not doing this. But he uh, it took him a few decades, but then he was like, I sold, and he talked about this a lot. He says, I sold, you know, uh, today to a car company, and it paid me like millions of dollars uh, and like more yeah. money than I m ever made, you know, m just from the music. And Pusha Push T did an Arby's commercial. Like this is like a few weeks ago, <laughs> yeah. Months ago or so, like I, I, it's it's like walking in on one of your parents and they're they're <laughs> cheating with like they're cheating on your you know other, on the other parent with the teacher you hate the most. Oh yes, like push a, <laughs> like seeing Pusha T do a Wendy or Arby's commercial, I was just like, what? Like I'm like pinching myself. I need to wake up from this nightmare. You know, like what is happening? Because it is so far from what it used to be. And, I mean, fuck, this is within 10, 15 years. Yeah, it was. Like, it was this was a death sentence. This is something you do not do to, yeah. like, 
push it, push a T. He he only raps about fucking selling drugs and shit. <laughs> and that does beg the question, like why? Well, why is he the one then that gets you know the uh, the the TV deal, the the Arby's deal? Like, have, have we just got again? It's because even rapping about drugs and murder has become ambient music now. And so it's no longer controversial. I don't know how long that's going to last, though. I feel like, you know, some of the reactions to the Travis Scott thing suggest that there is like a sort of a parents television council sort of wave kind of coming that people are, you know, experiencing. I don't know uh, if Pusha T will always be uh, as safe as he is now. But, man, it, it is sad to see. Like, I, you imagine, like, if... Tupac was alive right now, right? Like, what would he would like be on like American Idol as a host? And it, you know, and we we know that though, and it's so sad. Even though he started no, off no, as like a communist no, revolutionary, no, but I'm we know you don't want to accept it. But you don't want to accept it. No, no one does. But I, I, I feel like who thought, who ever thought they would seen Prince on it? But Prince was just so fucking weird. He just liked doing it for fun. I don't know, but um, it, it's just like. There's celebrity culture has kind of collapsed. Like there's no real like celebrities anymore. And there's no real, I don't know. There's no, like music doesn't really matter that much to people. I don't think not like it used to. I like, I just don't think people care. I was looking at a flyer of a, of a, of these shows and concerts and it's like a whole summer of shows. And there was like not a single one I was interested in. And it wasn't because like, I'm, I'm an old man now. And like, this is, isn't something I care about. Like, no, these were all like acts and stuff from my generation or prior, but it's just like it, it, they somehow found all the acts that like inspire no inspiration or they're like, you know, clearly like nostalgia tours where they're playing this old album or they're you know like and this was something that you know again billy corgan complained about and then ended up doing when uh maybe it was 10 15 years ago where the big thing was you perform an old album live instead of putting on a concert where you're playing new music and mixing it with the old music and new versions of the songs that that you know stop that stopped for a while and people were just playing like in their whole albums in their entirety exactly how they were on the record that's not a concert you know that's like going to chucky's e. cheese and seeing the uh mechanical animals dance you know that's not really what music is about but that came such a big thing even the smashing pumpkins even though billy corgan complained and bothered and criticized other bands for doing it he ended up kind of having to do it now he he did a twist on it where he also did a tour where he played the his new album in its entirety first but then eventually he went he they did do a few shows where that were you know tribute shows to a specific album because of financial considerations because that was the way that you that's how you had to sell tickets it couldn't it wouldn't you couldn't just go on tour you had to tell people that they were going they knew exactly what songs they were going to hear in the exact order in the exact way that it sounded when they were 13 and listened to your cd and i think would that's you, a pretty pretty good like tie into yeah. everything we've been talking about tonight well yeah because i don't think i've ever gone to a concert you know with that mentality i've never bought a concert ticket you know, like knowing because, like, that's what the album's there for. Yes, <laughs> you know, like that's that's what it's there for. Um, and and even like so, it's like thinking about um, uh, my this is my my, my cousin. Um, he went to a Jay Z Kanye concert 
in Chicago. And he said they played niggas in Paris like six or seven times in a row. Like they'd finish and then Jay-Z would just be like, again, the crowd would go wild, right? And then dee dee. Yes. Right? And then they'd finish the song. Again. They played the same song six times in a row. (laughs) And, like, why not? Why not? If they're feeling it, that's something that's different. But, like, I would, like, I would probably be upset if it's preloaded, right? If you just hear track one, then track two, then track three, you know what I'm saying? We know it's the album so good, you already start hearing the next song before the, 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 the song ends. Like, I don't want that. If I'm there live, show me something new. Yes. Like, you're here, you're here in person. You know what I'm saying? Like, what, that is, it's, it's beyond me. But like, you know, you said, it actually points to exactly what we talk about this. They're selling nostalgia and what i think in bringing up the next and and last uh last track and then we i'm also going to be opening up for the call so if you're listening you want to call in got any questions or anything um but that that idea that is selling nostalgia so this is a bruno mars song and uh fucking was it locked out of heaven i think it's funny that the, the the album's name unorthodox jukebox unorthodox jukebox but we'll listen to this and see just how unorthodox it is talking about selling nostalgia creating something that's just designed to tie to another time just utilizing the things already created and selling it based off of people wanting to you know just a natural occurrence to to harken back to yesteryear or whatever um, which which is especially uh, shameful in R and B, I think, with Bruno Mars. Because I mean, he is you know talented. And he's got a couple of hot tracks, but R and B is one genre. I think if you go dive into the underground, has undergone some interesting changes, but they're just not being brought really into the mainstream. That you thought the weekend might have done it, but he ended up sounding very conventional and not much. He like you can't tell a Bruno Mars song from a weekend song now, which is just like crazy to me when you look at his earlier stuff yeah and that's like part of the issue is um it's is is pop music now has its own sound and it dominates everything else um like when pop music became a genre onto itself 
it 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 was just it was the, just the thing that took it's a genre that takes um takes other genres like staples right what's the what are the things that make funk funk i'm gonna take that you know what's the things that take rock and roll rock and roll i'm gonna take that i'm gonna put a dance beat behind it and now we have pop music you know and that's just in and i think yeah with bruno mars too is like I don't know, like I don't know, like that's the thing. Like, I don't, is, is it R and B or like? Because like I don't hear R and B as I <laughs> understand it. I just hear the commodification of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Right? You know, like that's like that's all. Like that's really all I'm hearing. Or like you know, um, I'm actually gonna steal Karthik's, uh but like it's like a fucking reboot of Beat It. You know. Yeah, and he and the sad part is he never reaches those heights. Like the song, like you you think if you if all right, you already have the blueprints, you're gonna make a song as good as one, but never happens. It just does not happen. That's the saddest part to me. I always expect okay, I do miss Prince. I would like a fake Prince now, but every time I hear what sounds like it might be a fake Prince song, it ends up being awful, and I just go back to Prince. Um, I, I, I'm open to new artists and new stuff, but it just some so much of it is so mediocre and formulaic, and it's not risky and not interesting. Now, of course, we're talking about mainstream pop music. There, of course, stuff happening on the ending scenes all the time. That that's very interesting, but it does. I do have to mention like a lot, like something like 100 Gex, like uh, Mark, Mark Fisher in the, in the talk we uh, mentioned says that you couldn't take a song, you know, there's no such thing as futuristic. What we think of as futuristic is actual was actually defined in like the fifties or the sixties, like Star Trek or the eighties with cyberpunk. We still think of cyberpunk as being futuristic when it's actually retro futuristic at this point. That's a vision of the future from the past, not our vision of an actual future that's coming for us. That is just like a, it's a fantasy from the past. And when you, uh, when you look at, you know, these these old tracks, uh, these these old, these new sounds that are coming back, they never really are giving us anything like new or fulfilling and feel empty because they're rep- even when they're trying to be futuristic, they're replicating like the past future. Like and, and it's like 100 Gex, uh, what I was talking about. Like all of that sounds like happy hardcore, which you could hear in like 1995, probably. You know, it doesn't. It's not really a new sound. It would not shock someone who went to raves uh, in 2000 if they heard what a uh, uh, 100 Gex song today. It would sound like something that they had heard at a club on Saturday night. Yeah, and like uh, the incentive to. Doing this, I feel like that's something that maybe uh, Mark Fisher touches on slightly, uh, is that like we're actually seeing the disintegration happen real time, uh, where we are aware that the reason why like this is the the industry has like practically saturated, there's no new celebrity who's like making a mark uh, worth anything, um, only because uh, I think like it's kind of revealing itself to be uh, running a faulty model right like of of uh, that doesn't even work in its favor uh but given given that 
given that they still hold all of the you know access channels and the resources and everything and like you don't really make it as an even as an indie artist you don't make it as a big band or like as a big artist unless you gain the access channels and the resources that the mainstream has uh, how would you like kind of envision any kind of like futuristic or like revolutionary independent artist that can like have a breakout moment in the present day Ooh, in the present day, I, I I don't think there's. I mean, Lil Nas X is maybe the last like breakout musical artist, but it wasn't really like that song isn't like really. I don't know what I would call good. I think it felt like more like a meme song, like a gimmick song that got popular, like a one hit wonder type song. But there was nothing else, so Lil Nas X st- uh, stuck around and good for him. But I I just don't see a lot of substance there i i don't you know find his music uh that you know that interesting even though he's a very interesting person in the in the culture and very you know rep- as far as you know representation goes it's very cool and uh and i i dig that but like as far as the music goes i'm like i'm never gonna sit down and listen to a little nas x album probably and i don't i and i'm and that's feel, seems disappointing to me i feel like you know, there should be like new stuff coming from the youth that like should, you know, get get old people like me mad. But everything sounds like sanitized versions of stuff we had when we were kids. I mean, the only thing that makes me mad is like the mumble rap shit. Because like if you're going to say something, like, I want to hear you say whatever fucked up shit you're saying. That's my problem. But like, even then, like you, you, like you had mumble rap. You had mumble rap in the early nineties, you know, more or less. You know, especially in the South, you like so. It's, it's not even anything new. Yeah, true, 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 very true. But and the thing is, like, like for me, it's like if you want to make something hard to hear, you know, make it crazy bone hard to hear. You know, like make it and even Twista, you know. Um, it was like a lot longer career than like how popular you know it's been. Like kind of like the late. 2010s or so, you know, times of flat circle anyway. Um, but I don't know. There's an artistic way to make things fucking difficult, you know, and challenging, really. Because the thing is, too, is, like, when you get someone like even, yeah, E-40 or Twista who are, like, rapping so fast, that's a challenge to other rappers that's actually hard to replicate. Now, when, <laughs> when you get into <laughs> you know, like, most of them, it's like, yeah, anyone, oh, anyone I, can really do it. But, um, yeah, that is one mentioned. thing that, like, the, the Chief Keef era was defined by the fact that, oh, you don't even have to be know how to rap to be a hit rapper. And that's something that I guess we didn't cover, but it's like, like, how can you have revolutionary music when you don't even have to make, like, music to be, like, a top artist anymore? Yeah, because, and they'll tell, tell, they've already said, like, they, a bunch of, oh, it's about the beat. It's about the beat. Like no, it's not. That's only that's one part. If it's if it's only about the beat, then you don't know hip hop, right? Like, yes. Um, but I'm, I'm always calls, like, calls yeah, I'm always like uh, amazed that. Uh, so damn, like talking over you. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, I just wanted to say like, hey, the calls are calls are open now. So if anybody wants to call and ask me questions, you know, make a comment, please, please do. And uh, sorry, I do have to dip out, but it's been wonderful uh, talking with you. I've had a great time. I would love to do it again. Love to have you on Culture and Struggle Session sometime. We'll talk more music. Much appreciated. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, thanks, Leslie, for your time. Appreciate it.
Thank you. Have a good night, y'all. Well, Karthik, uh, I mean, like we can keep it open. I don't know if you want to say. Yeah, I mean, like we could, we could, we could take a call or two if there's people calling us. I mean, if, if you want to talk to us. <laughs> yeah, Leslie's like, nope, I'm not taking any calls. <laughs> you want to call it yeah. to Leslie? You got to call in on a culture. Yeah. No, but but at the same time, like I feel like uh, we we kind of. Uh, I mean, I was I was just gonna say that like the uh, I do want to like I mean we don't make it any um, we don't make it a mystery here that we want to actually have an a countercultural scene. We we want to see if that that'll actually be possible, um, not just like coming at it from the angle of uh, look at how shitty these things are, uh, but more to say that like if these things are so bad and if they're so commodified that like even a so-called revolutionary uh, nostalgia vehicle is like utter like shallow shallowness and like it doesn't even have any soul in it, then we might as well like start paying more attention to the alternatives. And that's kind of the uh, point that we are trying to drive with this conversation, not to particularly just rip on uh, mainstream cultural artifacts and show that like they're not all that or something. Yeah. No. And I think, um, and I don't know, we've kind of been going back and forth, you know, between historical examples, uh, mainstream, uh, counter revolutionary examples. Um, but then also artists that, you know, are revolutionary and they do have a revolutionary message. And it's kind of like, I think it's important to carry, you know, like all those things, um, to, cause that's, that's what, you know, I guess to put it in true context, you know, you would need, Hey, like past, present, what is and is not, you know, the, an example of what you're trying to, you know, create or recreate. Um, and so that, yeah, like, like you said, it's not like, I'm not trying to just like, Oh, we're, we're talking shit about Kendrick Lamar because he's the most popular, one of the most popular rappers right now. No, it's, because he's the most popular rapper, we're listening to what he's saying and, and, and analyzing it and interrogating that, you know, which um, I think is fair, <laughs> but also mm-hmm. um, it's important to do because, you know, what are, are people listening to this and what are they taking in and, you know, how does that shape our community and everything like that? Um, you know, I think it's pretty important. I did want to read this uh, message James Carr, because um, I think it's it's pretty close, you know, uh, pretty interesting. Uh, but if you are always playing to the algorithms, you're going to keep doing what you know works. Algorithms don't know how to treat novel content, which means p- that people also don't know how to respond to novel content. Um, and I think part, so. Part the part of that that like I really agree with is that the algorithm obviously doesn't know how to treat something novel. Algorithms intrinsically are something that is developed over reoccurring processes, right? And the analyzation of data. Um, but that's where I think in like what, you know, I think we're, you know, Carly, let me know if you agree, that it's important to try and find something that is novel because humans, they don't, that's, I guess that's the point is that humans yeah, I mean, don't know how they're going to respond. But when you find something that is novel, that is inspiring, then you naturally react to it. You naturally are just inspired. 
you know, and no one's going to tell you to be inspired by it. Um, it just is. And so that's something that like we, it, I guess, yeah, on the show, we're even just trying to drive a culture of people going outside of the algorithm because at some point, you know, something's going to stick and actually be inspirational and revolutionary. Um, but without the attempt to go outside the algorithm, you know, you're never going to know. Yeah. And like, I mean, even if you do go outside the algorithm, then you are like left with uh, the possibility that you will not be able to reach anybody uh, because the the ones that the algorithms would favor uh, would be the ones who are uh, prioritizing, like doing the re- reoccurring repetitive stuff. Um, and I also like kind of want to touch on how uh, there is a conception of the present as like containing the past, like the past is not in the past, the past is in the present, and there is no future. Um, and like we're constantly in a loop where we're uh, reimagining the past over and over again. And that's like the eternal reoccurrence that we're like stuck in because like we're going to keep doing these decades differently, uh, looking back at them, like just give it a 30 year gap or something like that. And that's what the um, kind of mainstream uh, version of it, like that's what the handful of corporations who are, you know, uh, bidding the highest for this type of material uh, are putting forth. So, I think like we're kind of stuck in this loop of like repeating this as well, like as audiences um, where our, our heads are like also getting like kind of uh, used to this motion of, uh, oh, it's going to be this after this uh, and so on. And like we're kind of prone to anticipate that also. Um, so if something new like stares at us in the face, like uh, we're not being wowed by that level of like uh, proficiency or uh, expertise anymore we're being wowed by how relevant or trendy it is uh given the you know the, given how things are in the present day and uh, that's that's arguably why you know like even revolutionary uh, nostalgia is trendy right now because that's one way by which you can get people to buy stuff uh because otherwise maybe they're not buying your shit um and you have to make these movies like don chiedel has to come and direct a movie about uh huey p newton um, and stuff like that. So, um, otherwise, like maybe it's not selling. Like Judas, Messiah, Judas and the Black Messiah was a high-grossing movie for a for a movie like that. Uh, it was almost a blockbuster. Yeah, well, and that's sort of like it's all about packaging something, and um, uh, that's where. I'm not even like, I don't consider myself an artist, but that's, you know, what I would expect out of art is something novel is something, um, yeah, something different, something that is expressive from, you know, some individual, you know, point of view that, or, you know, or societal point of view that I, I, I cannot conceive of through, you know, you know, like any other means, right. Through work or, you know, just like reading up on current events, you know, like any of those other things. Um, but it, and that's where I guess with Mark Fisher and capital real, capitalist realism is that everything is a commodity, you know, from, from like the food that you eat, the car that you drive, you know, your pet, your, into even the music that you listen to, you know, None of it is is to be just enjoyed as beings that have emotions and experience joy and sadness 
and and happiness and and anger like it is just something that is to be bought and sold you know as a transaction and you know uh, that's like yeah you know i guess too it's like let's see it's like on a not as a non-artist as a as a person who's just lived my whole life enjoying the art of hip-hop music you know looking at where it was when i was a kid to 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 where it is now and then seeing that replicated across all music genres it's something that you know it, it's it's like i don't know it's disappointing concerning but it also points to like the problems that 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 are really in our current reality the fact that like yeah everything is just to be bought and sold and nothing is real the fact that like we don't have a say in it uh, i think like should make us be more aware that like where uh, we like considering ourselves like even in you know on twitter it's called the discourse right um and like we kind of like like thinking of ourselves as as a discursive community which i think we are because we are talking amongst ourselves and like developing a sort of intellectual world view that you know um people at least resonate with when they listen to uh us talk or uh, you know they drop in the comments in the chat we get these kind of uh thoughts from at least our listeners uh but i feel like we to them like to the mainstream or like anything that uh, aspires to be uh, a sort of cultural uh, entity in the present day we are not a discursive community we are a consumption economy um and like we're basically just eating the stuff that they're giving us and i don't think that we have as much of a of a say in the matter as we are thinking we do um and like a lot of these things i think we are following pretty blindly and uh, especially when pointing out like this is a repackaged entity of like um for example the song that you played uh, which was the bruno mars song is basically beat it by michael jackson um like refurbished in a different genre in a different like um concept um and then like you listen to the new harry style songs and song and it kind of sounds a little bit like uptown funk in itself too um and it's like you're just kind of like reliving the same moment over and over again like you're doing the mexican wave uh at a ball game or something um and essentially that's all that there is to it and and you know like we don't have any way of uh, creating the alternative that um can have as much of a that can offer counterweight to this. And I think that's the big problem. Like, I don't think we, um, we can easily tune out. We can listen to the old stuff, but I don't think that there is a, a way to move this forward in a, in a direction, let alone revolutionary, like, you know, even in a direction that is remotely, uh, you know, caring about liberation and, uh, an actual, like having a soul, uh, still intact, uh, in yourself. Then I think like you, um, don't have that option at the moment like to to treat music uh, as that uh, vehicle to achieving that state yeah no and that's where um you know i i don't think you know any any of the past movements that did have like either musicians or just songs that act that really tied to and helped drive those movements um you know like it's 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 i like you know like not just music that we need to count on or the fact that we can count on music at all 
um, is that as a cultural barometer, right, as a, a sign of, of what is actually happening, if we look at capitalism as something, you know, fluid, it, you know, when we, we look at music and, and, and we look at art and we look at the commodification of it, um, and especially, too, when you bring in the Internet and algorithms and all those things, um, yeah, you know, I guess it just that the like it just tells us where we are, and it coincides with you know a lot of the other things that are happening in our world that tell us that capitalism has had control um, for not only a long time but for but a detrimentally long time, um, and whether it is yes the the commodification of, of nostalgia and you're repeating, you know, or no, a laundry cycle of, you know, these <laughs> certain moments in time, um, you know, to the prison industrial complex, the military industrial complex, <laughs> climate crisis, oil and gas companies, you know, all of these things tell us that, you know, we're at a alarm level society. Um, but the thing with popular culture, the thing with music and art as a commodity, it's actually helping drive those things as well. Um, instead of what we'd hope art is supposed to do, which is question, you know, like question our reality. Um, so I, yeah, I, it's, I don't know, it's concerning. It's concerning, but I think it, it just reveals where we are. Um, and why it's, I think it's important you know, for us to talk about this, but also to engage with artists that are outside of this. Yeah, I think I think basically that's uh, that's our mission statement, and uh, we're thankful to anybody tuning in. Uh, do we uh, have calls that we're gonna get? Um, if you guys want to talk to us, you can call. Um, we will be calling it very shortly. Yes, I'll say if. Uh... Not any calls by the end of this long and drawn out talk that I am doing now. Okay. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you being here. Um, we want to also thank Leslie Lee for coming through. Um, and, and you can check out the show. Uh, he's on, on call in, uh, called culture. Uh, but also he does a podcast and struggle session and hopefully, yeah, maybe Karthi and I will be on there uh, at some point. Um, but, uh, either way, thank you all for listening. Karthi, do you have anything before we go? I think that's, that's good. Thank you so much. Um, and, uh, join us again on Friday, 3 PM, where we have a pretty, uh, exciting guest for you uh, who who would be one of these artists that you could check out who's operating outside the mainstream and uh, uh, definitely a lot better than a lot of the artists that you would have heard uh, today, even though, you know, the industry might not think so yet. Are we going to just tease the audience or are you going to just tell them who it is? Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, like we can tell them who it is. Marcus, why don't you go ahead? <laughs> okay. So this is a, what I'd like to call repeat offender. Um, but we're going to be having Linqua Franqua, uh, also known as Mariah Parker, on Friday to be discussing organizing music. I think I'm probably going to dive into some politics in Georgia. 
Um, but it will be an awesome, awesome episode coming Friday at three three thirty. Or are we doing no, three p.m. Three p.m. I had thirty minutes on everything for some reason. Friday at three. We will see you then.